Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Last week was our Halloween episode, and it wasn't like this spooky, kind of like festive episode. It just so happened to be Halloween, and we also just happened to be on the chapter of Halloween in the first book. And it was just really cool that those two coincided that way, that we just ended up being in that chapter on that week. But no, nothing festive, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, one, you are missing out on a really cool episode, but you're not missing out on anything festive or anything like that. I haven't got to the point in, I, I would say, my confidence level to do anything kind of just different in that sense. I, I, I like the way that we're doing it now. I like the structure that it is and going through the story, going over talking points as we get to it, and just keeping it at that. I'm sure maybe in the future as I gain more confidence in speaking and maybe trying new things I will maybe do something different for those type of situations where we would come across a holiday on a holiday or actually just coming across a holiday while going through the series itself. But as for now, I'm going to stick to what I am doing and just making it my own in that sense. Now, in regards to the Common Room Talk Facebook page, we have gotten quite a few new members in there. Literally over the past week, we have almost doubled in membership, which, I mean, it was really small to begin with because it's still a new group. This is still, even though it's been out a few months, it's still a relatively new podcast, but it is really cool to see all of these new members in there. I'm going to have to take some time to actually go in and look at the rules and regulations for the actual group and make sure that it is still that safe place. Uh, One thing about the Harry Potter fandom is everyone is very opinionated, which is okay. Everyone can be opinionated. That's the great thing about opinions. Everyone is allowed to have one. However, as I have stated a few times in this podcast, I want this place to be safe primarily for kids. Like I I would want you to want your kids to be able to come in here and listen and just take away from this story because this is at the end of, at the end of the day is a, kid story this was a kid's book written and yes it it is okay that there are teenagers and adults from all over the world that have fallen in love with it I am one of them obviously I'm running a podcast about it but I want this to be for kids because that's what it was initially written for was kids and yes it got darker through the series it became more of a teen driven book but the initial set out was as a kid's book and I want to make sure it's safe for kids. And so I have to go in, look at these rules and regulations inside of the, the group and make sure that everyone is just adhering to those rules and regulations. Like I said, I want to make it safe for kids. There are plenty of other Harry Potter groups out there that allows adult conversation and adult talk. And that is totally okay. I am part of those groups too. I've, obviously, I don't partake in those conversations, but I do see them and I know they're there and that is okay. Like to each their own. They they are allowed to talk the way that they want. However, inside of this group, I want to make it safe for kids. And that's something that I, I wouldn't say is unique, but it is at least unique in the sense that I haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. So with that being said, everyone who is new to the Harry Potter group, thank you so much for joining. If this is your first episode, thank you so much for listening. I am so glad that you're here. This is a new and unique way to go through the original series. What we're doing is going through chapter by chapter through the original series. We're going over all the talking points that I have brought up over the 15 plus years that I've been going through Harry Potter. I have been through the series. This is going to be my 75th time. I've been through the series 74 times and I'm making it to where this walkthrough of the series as I'm going through the podcast is going to be my 75th time going through the original series. That is going through reading the books or listening to the audiobooks, which I prefer the Jim Dale version of the audiobooks if you are somebody who listens. And we are also comparing them. Theme. I, I don't know why I just said theme. We're comparing them to the movies and just going over those talking points. What was different? What was bad? What was good? What should have been included? Those kind of things. And so if this is your first time listening and I say something that is incorrect, please correct me. We have an email, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. You can reach me there. Correct me. 
uh, send me some kind of talking point if there's something you want to hear more on, something that you just enjoy about the episode or about the series, please, I would love to interact with you that way. Send me an email uh, if you want to. I can read it live on an episode, and we can go through those talking points together. So again, that is commonroomtalk at gmail.com. So again, last week we left off at the end of the Halloween chapter. This week we are going to be starting chapter 11, which is the Quidditch chapter. This is the first time that we actually get to see Quidditch being played out. And it's really cool because on the opening page here, of the Jim Dale illustrated version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, there is a depiction of a golden snitch. And it's actually, despite being a magical creation, we know that this is a a creation that was used to kind of combat the snidget use inside of Quidditch, which we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But this is, it looks, in this depiction at least, like a mechanical contraption. But obviously it has to have some sort of magical component to it. Otherwise it wouldn't work. Uh, we, we are going to talk about and learn about just technology and things later on in the series when that becomes more prevalent. But as of right now, it's really not that important. It is, it is a really cool depiction. You see a lot of really great detail in the snitch itself, there's a big golden band going top to bottom around the body of the snitch itself. It kind of looks like the uh, the one ring if you were to uh, put it all in English instead of the uh, the the language of Mordor and uh, set it on fire. It kind of looks like that. It's not all glowing red, but it is a golden band that has writing across it. And that is the first thing that I thought of. And then there's a lot of intricate metalwork going around the rest of it, and then it's, it looks like some kind of mechanical contraption holding the wings to the body itself. It looks like it's sitting on some gears and maybe some kind of hydraulic system. Obviously, it has to be magical. Maybe this is just some way to allow the metal components to move in a lawful way in regards to physics, but again, it is magical, and so it's kind of hard moving those two in and around each other. Obviously, we do know that J.K. Rowling wrote her world, that is the Harry Potter world, into the real world. It exists inside of the real world. Now, there are two components inside of that that I'm not going to talk too much on because it just gets very long and very winded. But there are two main aspects that we need to know about that fact. One it is in the real world. There are laws of nature. Things do need to work in a certain way. Second, there are the magical components, which are also written into laws of nature. We see later on in this series that Hermione actually talks about there being specific laws to magic, and we're going to talk more about that later. But it's important to understand that there are laws of magic and there are laws of physics, and we need to blend those two together somehow in the middle, knowing that, yes, there could be magic on these things, and yet there also has to retain a logical, lawful means of operation inside of physics. And I hope that is not super complicated. No, I am not a super smart person. No, I have not taken any kind of physics class whatsoever. I am just stating my own opinion on that situation, on that subject, and you can completely disagree with me if you like, but I want to keep it as logical as possible, and that entire rant and soapbox is probably entirely unneeded, but I put it in there anyways. It's a really cool talking point. Let me know what you think about magical law and physical law and how they can coincide together, but... All of that coming out of just this conversation of this snitch, it's a really cool concept. I don't like the way that it looks personally. I prefer the movie look of the snitch where the golden wings just come flying out of it and it's attached seamlessly almost. Here it is very mechanical looking. and It's not terrible. I just don't personally like it. So that is a lot for just the beginning of an episode. And if this is your first episode, I am sorry. It's not usually that technically detailed when we're going through these things. But 
this chapter opens up as the start of November, which is also this week, the start of November. It is also where I am here in Ohio, very much like this. The weather turned very cold. It has been very cold here in Ohio, but here we don't have these these mountains, at least in this part of Ohio, where it says that the mountains around the school have become icy gray, and the lake looked like it had chilled to steel. And so it is a typical pre-winter scenario or scene that is going on here now. Something that I think is really significant is in the same paragraph, we see Hagrid is down to frosting broomsticks on the Quidditch pitch. And so I'm guessing this is probably just in relation to school brooms themselves, but it is funny to me that they need to be defrosted. I, again, made the analogy last week about the idea of the broomsticks being made like car models. And you also see this characteristic of like defrosting your car before taking off on it or in it. This isn't a broomstick. The car. In the car. You don't ride on your car. You ride in your car. It is the start of Quidditch season. And on this upcoming Saturday, Harry was going to be playing in his first match. He had been training for weeks. And this was going to be Gryffindor versus Slytherin. And if Gryffindor won, it would move them into second place in the house championship. And now this is something that, for the longest time, had been very confusing to me. That the points gained in Quidditch also then went toward the House Cup. And the thing that could be misunderstood with that is that a team could win the Quidditch Cup, but also lose the House Cup and vice versa. And so it is really weird and can get sometimes rather confusing, I think. By now, most likely, most of the school had found out that Harry was the new Gryffindor seeker, but hardly anyone had actually seen him play due to Wood wanting to keep him a secret. He was known as their secret weapon. And despite Harry being the secret weapon, there were still a lot of people going around telling him he would either be brilliant or that they would be running around underneath him holding a mattress. And we see that Harry is then actually glad of his friendship now with Hermione, that she had helped him through doing homework while he had so much practice, that she had also lent him Quidditch through the ages, and it actually turned out to be very interesting for him. He had found out that there were 700 ways of committing a Quidditch foul, and during the World Cup match of 1473, all of them had been committed. That is amazing. Two really just mind-blowing facts that we have learned about Quidditch so far is that the longest match had lasted a few months and that there are at least 700 ways to commit a Quidditch foul, and all of them have happened during one game. And then he found out that Seekers were usually the smallest and fastest players and that most of the serious Quidditch accidents always seemed to happen to them. And that although people rarely ever died playing Quidditch, the referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. It's weird that it's specifically the Sahara Desert, but that's where these refs were turning up. So we also see that since Harry and Ron had saved Hermione and they'd become friends, she'd also become a little more relaxed about just the rules around them. And before Harry's first Quidditch match, the three of them were out in the freezing courtyard during a break, and she had conjured up this blue fire which she could um, carry around in a jam jar. We really, I think, see more of that type of thing later on in the last book. If I remember correctly, we, we see the, the fire again. But here we see it for the first time, and this is really impressive actually. Being a first year, we already know that she's obviously super intelligent, and she is given that accolade through her entire tenure at Hogwarts, being the brightest witch of her age. However, Seeing this here now, she's just a few months into Hogwarts, and this is really cool stuff she's doing here. She has this fire in a jar, and they're out here on break, standing around this fire, trying to get warm. Now, on the left side of the page here, there is a really cool portrait that is done 
the background looks like it could be the the wall or the back of one of the stands for the Quidditch stands where people can go up and watch the the game actually happening but it it's all wood except for maybe one metal brace going across the top very unique looking wooden design and it is a doorway that is on here sorry the two iron latches that hold the hinge to the wood is also metal and then the the door handle itself, a big ring door handle. And it looks like there is different kinds of carvings and stuff actually in the wood. But Hermione is standing in front of this, and you see her bushy hair, and she's holding her wand, and she's holding a... Her wand is in her right hand. She's holding the jam jar in her left hand up in front of her face, and she is doing a spell to create this fire inside of the jar and so her face and her hair and her hands and the wand are all illuminated while everything else is kind of dark and you see her in her you see her in her robes that's weird to say really fast but she's in her hogwarts school robes and you see the gryffindor tie right underneath her chin there and it's just a really cool little picture again jim k's portraits are just so wonderful to look at But as they're standing out here getting warm, they see Snape is crossing the yard, and Harry noticed that he had a limp. So he was limping from something, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione had moved closer together to kind of block the fire from view because they didn't know if it was actually allowed or not. But it said that, unfortunately, Snape caught their eye, and something about their guilty faces pulled him over. And so he limps over to them. He hadn't seen the fire, but he seemed to be looking for a reason to tell them off anyway. Snape looks over at Harry and sees a book in his hands, but he asks him, what is that you've got there? It was Quidditch through the ages. And Snape says, library books are not to be taken outside of school. Give it to me. Five points from Gryffindor. And so obviously this is a point of contention between these two. As Snape starts to limp away, Harry says he just made that rule up. And what is wrong with his leg? But Ron says, bitterly, I hope that it is really hurting him. So then we skip forward to that evening in the Gryffindor common room. It says that it was very noisy. And Harry, Ron, and Hermione were all sitting together next to a window. And Hermione was proof reading their charms homework and it's really funny because it says that she would never let them copy and then in quotations it says how will you learn and we know that that's that's completely false we know what happens later on in the next few books and it actually ends up being a point in which um two of them are having a fight and hermione doesn't let them use the homework without giving any uh really big spoilers away but we know that that's not true it doesn't remain that way And they're just contemplating about Quidditch through the ages, and he really wanted it back to take his mind off of his nerves for tomorrow, which is the match. And he's thinking to himself that, why should he be afraid of Snape? And so getting up, he told Ron Hermione he was going to ask Snape if he could have it back, and they both reply, better you than me. But Harry had an idea that Snape wouldn't refuse if there were other teachers around or present Little do they know that Snape is a big poopy head, and he would absolutely say no, even if there were other teachers around. So Harry makes his way to the staff room, and he knocks. There's no answer. He knocked again. Still nothing. And so he's thinking to himself, maybe Snape just left the book in there, so it was worth a try. And he pushes the door open, and he looks inside and says that he meets a horrible scene. It says that Snape and Filch were inside alone, so just those two in the room. And Snape was holding onto his robes, and he had them up above his knees. And one of his legs was bloodied and mangled, and Filch was handing Snape bandages. Harry then hears Snape saying, Blasted thing, how are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once? And Harry then tries to shut the door quietly, but Potter! Snape's face was twisted with fury as he dropped his robes quickly to hide his leg, and Harry gulped. And so he just goes on out and asks, I was just wondering if I could have my book back, and Snape is bellowing, Get out! 
out. And so Harry leaves before Snape could take any more points from Gryffindor. He sprinted his way back upstairs. And so a few things that's weird here. I don't understand why Filch is involved with this part. Obviously, he probably is aware of what's going on. I just don't understand the point of this. Like, it's really weird because obviously we know the plot. We're not going to get into it because I'm not going to ruin anything. But for those of you who do know the plot, who knows the ending, who knows what exactly is going on, why this situation where Filch is involved and why Snape was in a position to get attacked at least is what it seems to be that way. He does say here, how are you supposed to keep your eyes, eyes, not one eye, eyes on all three heads at once? And so what's going on? Why is it that Snape is injured this way? Why is Filch involved? And the third thing is this, is why is he having to bandage up? Why is he not being able to be magically healed why is he not able to heal himself? We do see later on, now whether if it was specifically that spell itself that we will talk about later on in another book, but Snape can heal some magical wounds to an extent. We see that happen later on. And again, if it's that particular spell, and I'm sorry it's so vague, I just don't want to give away too much, but... We know that he can heal magically, so why here? It might just be another case of it's so early in the series and maybe J.K. Rowling didn't know exactly the extent in which she was going to take magic or take the series itself, and we could chalk it up as just that, but that's no fun. I like to speculate on things that could just be weird or different or off-putting, and so my theory is maybe this. What if it's a lot like the snake venom in the bites that we see to somebody later on as well where they couldn't be magically healed what if this dog has some sort of anti-healing component to its bite but maybe there was some kind of anti-healing component to it to where they had to use magic because it says that he had been limping now for at least a few days if not at least two days and we know that he was bleeding because he was being bandaged and he had limped earlier that day. And so he's dealing with a whole mess with his leg. Why has it not been magically healed? I like to think that maybe if it wasn't chalked up to just an early series mistake with J.K. Rowling, and not even a mistake, just uh, something that would be much better done in hindsight, but... I'd like to chalk it up to maybe some kind of magical property with this dog. But Harry ran back up to the Gryffindor common room, and Snape asks him, did you get it? What's the matter? And in a low whisper, Harry told them what he had seen. And so he finishes with, do you know what this means? He tried to get past that three-headed dog at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. He's after whatever it's guarding, and I bet my broomstick... He let that troll in to create a diversion. And so you see Hermione's reaction to this instantly is her eyes were wide. And she says, no, he wouldn't. I know he's not very nice, but he wouldn't try and steal something Dumbledore was keeping safe. We do get to see a good measure of Hermione's understanding of things here, at least as to what it appears. But... It continues on and says, Honestly, Hermione, you think that all teachers are saints or something. This was wrong. He snapped at her with this. But he says, I'm with Harry. I wouldn't put anything past Snape. But what's he after? What's that dog guarding? And so then Harry is going to bed. So that conversation's done. Harry's heading to bed and it says that his head was buzzing with the same question. Neville was already snoring loudly, but Harry couldn't sleep. And so he tried to empty his mind. He needed sleep. He had to. He had his first Quidditch match in just a few hours. So he's obviously nervous. He's dealing with the Snape thing. But the expression on Snape's face when Harry had seen him with his leg out and bleeding and such, that wasn't an easy thing to forget. It's understandable. Nerves dealing with that. He is in for a rough evening. 
So the next morning dawned very bright and cold. It came quickly, and we're told that the Great Hall was filled with a delicious smell of fried sausages and the cheerful chatter of everyone looking forward to a good Quidditch match. And then you see some back and forth about them trying to get Harry to eat. He doesn't want to. He says he felt terrible. In an hour's time, he'd be walking onto the pitch. Samus Finnegan chimes in, says, You need your strength. Seekers are always the ones who get nobbled by the other team. If you didn't know, nobbled means to um, like influence or to stop somebody to, I think the actual word in the definition is thwart someone or something by underhanded or unfair methods. So 11 o'clock comes around, and it seems like the whole school is already out at the stands around the Quidditch pitch, and it says that many students had binoculars. The seats might be raised high up in the air, but it was still difficult to see what was going on sometimes. And Ron, Hermione, and Neville, Seamus, Dean, were all up in the top row. And as a surprise for Harry, they had painted a large banner on one of the sheets, Scabbers had ruined, it said, Potter for President. And Dean, who was actually pretty good at drawing, had done a large Gryffindor lion underneath it. And then Hermione performed a tricky little charm so that the paint flashed different colors. Again, that charm is not one that is really named, but it does seem like a really cool little charm that she does. We get to see a lot of little bits of magic like from her here and there she does seem very adept for her age for this age group and just for just the short amount of time that they have already been there but it continues on with saying meanwhile in the changing rooms we have the gryffindor quidditch team together they're playing in their scarlet robes and it points out slytherin will be playing in green wood clears his throat he's getting ready to give this speech he says okay men and women said chaser angelina johnson and women Wood agreed. This is it. The big one, said Fred Weasley. The one we've all been waiting for, said George. We know Oliver's speech by heart, Fred told Harry. We were on the team last year. Wood tells them to shut up. This is the best Gryffindor team we have had in years. We're going to win. I know it. And he glared at all of them as if to say or else. So he finishes his speech up and Harry gets up and he follows Fred and George out of the changing room and hoping his knees weren't going to give away, they walked onto the pitch to loud cheers. Now, in the movie, we obviously don't really see that speech. We see Harry next to Oliver Wood getting ready to walk out. The doors open up. There's a lot of cheers. And Harry asks a question, to which Wood answers he doesn't really remember his first game. He took a bludger to the head and was knocked out. Harry takes a big gulp. And I do like that in the movie you get a little more of the intensity of what a quidditch match is like from the very get-go from that scene but here they have the speech and now they're walking out onto the pitch so there was madam hooch she was the referee for the match and she stood in the middle of the pitch and she was waiting for the two teams her broom already in her hand and so she starts officiating giving some rules she says i want a nice fair game all of you she said once they were all gathered around, Harry noticed that she seemed to be speaking particularly to the Slytherin captain, Marcus Flint of fifth year. And Harry thought that Flint looked like he had some troll blood in him. And then out of the corner of his eye, he saw the fluttering banner high above, flashing Potter for president over the crowd, and his heart skipped a beat. He felt braver. Madam Hooch tells them to mount their brooms. Harry clambered onto his Nimbus 2000, and then Madam Hooch gives a loud, clear blast on her silver whistle, and then 15 brooms rose up high into the air. The game had started. They were off. And it starts off with... And the quaffle is taken immediately by Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is, and rather attractive, too. Jordan, sorry, Professor, the Weasley twins' friend, Lee Jordan, was doing the commentary for the match, closely watched by Professor McGonagall. And so he kind of prattles on a little bit here about the chasers, uh, the quaffle going back and forth. And honestly, this is where I was just on the fence about how I wanted to do this. I really wanted to come up with some way of like 
doing a commentary for the match. I don't know. Maybe next time we come across a Quidditch match, I'll do something like that. But for now, I, I don't want to read it word for word. Um, that's not what I want to do. I know that there are bits and pieces that I do end up reading a lot of. That's not how I want to do this. I don't want to end up reading large chunks. But for this part, I will try and read some of the play-by-play that is going on in here. So we see the Quaffle go back and forth a few times here in the opening few minutes, going from Alicia to Slytherin, back to Johnson, back to Slytherin. Then Captain Marcus Flint gains the Quaffle, and he's off, and he's flying. It says, like, an eagle up there. He's going to score. No, it was an excellent stop by Oliver Wood. He then passes it on to Katie Bell of Gryffindor, and she has a nice dive around Flint. She's up the field, and boom, ouch. That must have hurt, hit in the back of the head by a bludger. So that's Katie who's then hit in the back of the head by the bludger. Not a fun time, probably. The quaffle is then taken by Slytherin again. That's Adrian Pusey speeding off towards the goalposts, but he's blocked by a second bludger sent his way by Fred or George. Can't tell which. Nice play by the Gryffindor beater anyway. Johnson back in possession of the quaffle, and she is off up the pitch again. She's really flying, dodges a speeding bludger to the goalposts. They're right ahead of her. Come on now, Angelina. Keeper, Betchley dives, misses. Gryffindor scores. And so then there's a lot of cheering from the people that are supporting Gryffindor. Now, mind you, there are times here that there obviously are the other two houses that are not playing, that are also participating. And based on their points, based on their feelings towards a house, they obviously pick a side that they want to win. You don't usually see a lot of people backing up the Slytherin side. They are primarily on their own. So then you hear somebody say, budge up there, move along. It was Hagrid. He made his way into it. It says Ron and Hermione squeezed together just to try and make enough room for him to join them. He says he was watching from his hut, and he has a large pair of binoculars with him that he's looking through. But it isn't the same as being here in the crowd. No sign of the snitch yet then. And they say, nope, Harry hasn't had much to do. He says, uh, keep out of trouble, though. That's something. I just... Hagrid talking, praising him for not getting into trouble, whatever that would mean, whether it's probably being hit, being forced to one side of the pitch or another. I'm sure there's some sort of evasive tactics that other teams will want to use to move the seeker around uh, to their advantage. And so Hagrid pulls the binoculars up to his face to look up at Harry, who was way up above them. He was gliding over the game. He's squinting around for any sign of the snitch. And this was his part of Wood's game plan, just to stay out of the way until you see the snitch. That way we don't have Harry getting attacked before he has to be. And so it continues on when Angelita scored again. Harry had done a couple of loop-de-loops to let out his feelings, and now he was back to starting around for the snitch. Once he had caught sight of a flash of gold, but it was just the reflection from one of the Weasley's wristwatches. And it made me think, when I read this part, if maybe there was any kind of like diversionary tactics that were used. Maybe the opposite team would sometimes wear something reflective in gold to make you think it was the snitch, just to pull your attention away. Um, Those kind of tactics. It makes me wonder if that's also maybe one of the 700 potential fouls that can be committed during a game. At that moment then, a bludger comes towards Harry, and he says it's more like a cannonball than anything, but he dodged it. Fred Weasley comes by, chasing it, asks if Harry's okay, and he had really no time to yell as he beat the bludger furiously towards Marcus Flint, and then we hear more commentary, Slytherin in possession. Chaser Pusey ducks two bludgers, two Weasleys, and a chaser, and speeds towards the, wait a moment, was that a snitch? And then it says a murmur ran through the crowd as Adrian Pusey dropped the quaffle, too busy looking over his shoulder at the flash of gold that had passed his left ear. And so Harry sees it, and then in a great rush of excitement, he dives downwards towards the streak of gold. But the seeker for Slytherin, Terrence Higgs, had seen it as well. And so they were neck to neck. They hurtled towards the snitch. All the chasers seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch Harry was faster than Higgs. He could see a little round ball, wings fluttering, darting up ahead. He put on an extra spurt of speed and then 
Wham! There was a roar of rage that echoed from the Gryffindors below. Marcus Flint, this is the Slytherin captain, he had blocked Harry on purpose and Harry's broom spun off course, Harry holding on for dear life. Foul, screamed the Gryffindors, and so Madam Hooch comes in, speaks angrily to Flint, and then ordered a free shot at the goalposts for Gryffindor. But in all the confusion, of course, the snitch had been lost. It disappeared from sight. So down in the stands, Dean Thomas was yelling, send him off, ref, red card, red card. And Ron says, this isn't football. You can't send people off in Quidditch. And Hagrid asks, what's a red card? But Hagrid was on Dean's side about this. They ought to change the rules. Flint could have knocked Harry out of the air. And Lee Jordan himself was finding it difficult not to take sides. He says, so after that obvious and disgusting bit of cheating, Jordan growled Professor McGonagall. I mean, after that open and revolting foul, Jordan, I'm warning you. All right, all right. Flint nearly kills the Gryffindor Seeker, which could happen to anyone, I'm sure. So a penalty to Gryffindor taken by Spinnet, who puts it away, no trouble, and we continue play Gryffindor still in possession. That is probably one of my favorite moments in this entire book, because the first few times, and whenever I go through and I'm listening to Jim Dale, it's always so funny to me the way that Lee just doesn't care. But Gryffindor still in possession, and so now it's Harry. He dodged another bludger, which went spinning dangerously past his head. His broom gave a sudden, frightened lurch. And for a split second, he thought that he was going to fall. He gripped the broom tightly with both of his hands and knees. He had never felt anything like that. But then it happens again. And it was as like the broom was trying to buck him off. And so this is what we obviously see in the movie. We don't see a lot of what happened up until this point, but we do see this where his broom just starts acting really weird. It says, but Nimbus 2000s don't just suddenly decide to buck their riders off. And Harry tried to turn back towards the Gryffindor goalposts, and he had half a mind to ask Wood to call a timeout. Then he realized that his broom was completely out of control. He couldn't turn it, he couldn't direct it at all. It was just zigzagging on its own through the air and every now and then making a violent swish movement which almost unseated him. So his broom, uh, imagine like a, a bucking bronco. It was a little bit more than what we see in the movie where it was kind of just like shifting back and forth and Harry's trying to hang on with his hands. This thing was like back and forth, violently bucking up and down, trying as hard as it could to throw Harry off. Lee was still commentating, Slytherin in possession, Flint with the quaffle, passes, spin it, passes Bell, hit hard in the face by a bludger, hope it broke his nose, only joking, Professor, Slytherin, score, oh, no. And so we see the, the Slytherins cheering, but no one seemed to have noticed that Harry's broom was behaving strangely. It was carrying him slowly higher, away from the game, jerking and twitching as it went. Don't know what Harry thinks he's doing, Hagrid mumbled. He stared through his binoculars. If I didn't know better, I'd say he'd lost control of his broom, but he can't have. And so Hagrid's now seeing it. He was looking at Harry with the binoculars. But then suddenly people were pointing up at Harry from all over the stands. His broom had started to roll over and over, with him just only managing to hang on. Then the whole crowd gasped. Harry's broom had given a wild jerk and Harry was swung off of it. He was now dangling from it, holding on with only one hand. Now this is where we see this obviously in the movies, just hanging on. And it says, did something happen to it when Flint had blocked him? Seamus whispered. Can't have, Hagrid said, his voice shaking. Can't nothing interfere with a broomstick except powerful dark magic. I think that is an exceptional bit of information right there. We don't ever really hear too much more about broomstick lore, but we do see this right here, that it would take very powerful dark magic to interfere with the magic of a broomstick. Hagrid continues on with saying, no kid could do that to a Nimbus 2000. So at these words, Hermione seizes Hagrid's binoculars, but instead of looking up at Harry, she started looking frantically at the crowd. Ron asks her what she's doing. He is gray-faced. He's obviously worried for Harry, not knowing what's going on. Hermione gasps, 
I knew it. Snape, look. Ron takes the binoculars. Snape was in the middle of the stands opposite of them, and he had his eyes fixed on Harry. He was muttering nonstop under his breath. He's doing something. Jinxing the broom, said Hermione. What should we do? Leave it to me. So they're obviously now going to figure out something to do about this. They see Snape is doing something. He is muttering under his breath. He's making direct eye contact with Harry, not locking eyes, obviously, but making eye contact with Harry in general, looking up at him. He is giving off the indication that he is doing some kind of spell, obviously. But before Ron could say another word, Hermione had disappeared. Ron turned the binoculars back to Harry. He's looking up at him to see what's going on. His broom was still vibrating so hard that it was almost impossible for him to hang on much longer. And so the whole crowd that was there, they're on their feet. They're watching this. They're terrified. They have no idea what's going on. The Weasleys flew up to try and pull Harry off safely under one of their brooms, but it was no good. Every time that they got near him, the broom would jump higher still. They dropped lower and circled beneath him, obviously hoping to catch him if he were to fall. And so it says that Marcus Flint seized this opportunity. Nobody's looking. He grabbed the quaffle and he scored five times without anyone noticing. Come on, Hermione, Ron muttered desperately. And so Hermione's making her way across the stands to where Snape stood and was now racing along the row behind him. She didn't even stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front. I don't need to say this, but that part is extremely important. Do not forget that, that she knocks Professor Quirrell over. She reaches Snape. She crouches down, she pulls out her wand, and she whispers a few well-chosen words. And so we see right here that she's getting ready to do some magic. There wasn't really a spell given to this yet. In the movie, we see her say, Lacarnum inflamare, which then shoots fire out of her wand and catches Snape's robe on fire. Here it says, bright blue flames shot from her wand onto the hem of Snape's robes. So this is obviously what she's probably been doing with the jars that had the blue fire in them that we saw her doing earlier. It says it took perhaps maybe 30 seconds for Snape to realize that he was on fire. And a sudden yelp told her that she had done her job. So she scoops the fire off of him into the little jar in her pocket. She scrambled back along the row. Snape would never know what had happened. I don't know how you go from being on fire to having somebody scoop the fire off of you into a jar and not know what is going on, especially somebody as perceptive as Snape. So that is a little bit of a stretch to me. I also, I don't know, I feel like there's so much more that probably could have been done in that moment. Like, why do you have to set your teacher on fire? Like, it's so bizarre to me, that that turn of like events, like Hermione being as just ridiculously smart as she is her first thought is i'm gonna go set him on fire now at the very top of this page there is a small little illustration that is harry on his broomstick reaching out after a snitch which you see kind of streaking off towards the left side of the page and right behind him is the seeker for slytherin and he is in his green robes Harry is in his red robes, and they're just blurred out. They're streaking along. You can tell they're moving at high speeds, and that's really all the picture is. There's not a whole lot of detail to it. And a fun little tidbit here, I took it out, but just a few seconds ago, my wife burped downstairs, mind you, and my mic picked it up. It was really funny, but I wasn't going to leave it in and just embarrass her that way, even though I did say all of this and it's probably going to embarrass her anyway, but it was really funny to hear it. So yeah, Hermione scoops the flames back into her jar and it says that it was enough. Up in the air, Harry was suddenly able to clamber back onto his broom. Neville, you can look. This was Ron talking to Neville because Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes. But it continues on saying that Harry was speeding towards the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hand to his mouth as though he was about to be sick. He hit the pitch on all fours. He coughed and something gold fell into his hand. 
and he shouts that he has the snitch. He's waving it above his head, and the game is over. It ended in complete confusion. But Flinch is now upset. He It's 20 minutes later, and he's still howling about the fact that Harry didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it, but it didn't make a difference. Harry hadn't broken any rules, and Lee Jordan was still happily shouting about the results. Gryffindor had won by 170 points to 60 points. Harry hadn't heard any of this, though. He was being made a cup of strong tea back in Hagrid's hut with Ron and Hermione. Ron's trying to explain that it was Snape, that him and Hermione had seen it happen. He was cursing his broomstick, muttering, and he wouldn't take his eyes off of you, which we see that happening as in the movie as they're walking with Hagrid back towards his hut. And something about that part in the movie just bugs me so much because it's Hermione talking, and she says that she's read all about these spells. You have to keep eye contact, and Snape wasn't blinking. And then Harry says, exactly. Like, how is Harry going to say that it was Snape? Like, how is he going to agree with Hermione when he didn't see any of that happen? He was hanging on for dear life. It should have been Ron in that moment who says, exactly, because he was the one who was with Hermione and saw it happen. So that's just something in the movie that really just bugs me. This is when we see Hagrid start to defend Snape. He says that's rubbish. He hadn't really listened to what was going on in the stands, but he says, why would Snape do something like that? And so Ron and Harry and Hermione all look at each other, wondering what to tell him, and then Harry decided on the truth. He says, I found out something about him. He's telling this to Hagrid. He tried to get past the three-headed dog at Halloween, and it bit him. We think that he's trying to steal whatever it's guarding. Hagrid drops his teapot. How do you know about Fluffy, he asks. Fluffy? Yeah, he's mine. Bought him off of a Greek chap I met in a pub last year. I lent him to Dumbledore to guard thee. They say yes eagerly. Now don't go asking me any more. Hagrid was just upset now. He said he says this gruffly. That's a top secret. But they said that Snape's trying to steal it. And he says, rubbish again. Snape's a Hogwarts teacher. He'd do nothing of the sort. Now, I want to point out really quick that this is amazing. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this before. But when he says that he bought Fluffy, he bought him off of a Greek chap in the pub last year. Again, we've talked about how Fluffy, who is now named this three-headed dog Fluffy, being created kind of in the same image as Severus from Greek mythology. I thought that was just really cool that he says he bought him off of a Greek chap. It's a nice little nod to the mythology that he is based on. But it says Snape's a Hogwarts teacher. He'd do nothing of the sort, and Hermione chimes up first. So then why did he try and kill Harry? It seems as if what happened that afternoon during the Quidditch match really changed Hermione's mind about Snape. She continues on saying, I know a jinx when I see one, Hagrid. I've read all about them. You've got to keep eye contact. And Snape wasn't blinking at all. I saw him. Again, in the movie, that's where Harry is like, exactly. And it's just so dumb because he didn't see any of it. But Hagrid says, I'm telling you that you're wrong. I don't know why Harry's broom was acting like that, but Snape wouldn't try and kill a student. Now listen to me, all three of you. You're meddling in things that don't concern you. It's dangerous. You forget that dog, and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. Aha, said Harry. So there's someone called Nicholas Flamel involved, isn't there? And Hagrid was furious with himself. And that's the end of that chapter. That is chapter 11, Quidditch. Now, there are two things that I want to share really quick, and I know that we are coming very close to almost an hour, so I will go through them quickly. Actually, I'm just going to do one for the sake of time. I'm going to save the other thing, which is just a little bit of history on broomsticks, witches, and all that fun stuff, and one of the other history Harry Potter books that I have. But I do want to talk about the Snidget. I know we just did a creature. We're going to do a creature again really quick. We're going to go through this. Golden Snidget is an actual creature, and it looks like a big golden puff. It has a really long beak, kind of maybe like what you would see with a hummingbird trying to 
like has these long beaks to look in not look but to to reach into flowers for for nectar down at the the end of these long shafted flowers but he's here probably the size of a golf ball with two little legs and some beady red eyes but this is the snidget it's a ministry of magic classification for x's which is a pretty high classification remember that classification is usually about danger and just the threat that they pose to humans it says here, and this is in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander, the golden snidget is an extremely rare protected species of bird, completely round with a very long, thin beak and glistening jewel-like red eyes. The golden snidget is an extremely fast flyer that can change direction with uncanny speed and skill owing to the rotational joints of its wings. The golden snidget's feathers and eyes are so highly prized that it was at one time in danger of being hunted to extinction by wizards. The danger was recognized in time in the species protected, the most notable factor being the substitution of the golden snitch for the snidget in the game of Quidditch. Snidget sanctuaries exist worldwide. And then there's a few little subnotes here at the bottom. The Golden Snidget gains a 4x rating, not because it's dangerous, but because of the severe penalties that are attached to its capture or injury. This is a very well-protected bird now at this point. It says, anyone interested in the role played by the Golden Snidget in the development of the game of Quidditch is advised to consult Quidditch Through the Ages by Kenilworthy Wisp. So, you do see this protected bird. Uh, not a lot of people know about the history of Quidditch. We will one day talk about that, but this bird is involved in that. It used to be used in place of what is now the snitch, and now that it is protected, it is no longer being used in such a way. We now have the snitch in play, and I thought that was just a really cool ending to end the Quidditch chapter. And again, later on in the series, we will talk more about the history of Quidditch. But that is going to be it for tonight. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If this was your first episode, please go back and listen to the other ones. I promise they're, this is all new. And I am 100% going to leave that in that dead space where my wife just sneezed. So you, I, I edited out her burp, but her sneeze is still in here. And there's no way that you didn't hear that. That is amazing that this mic picked up on that. But if you go back to the first episode, it's not as good as these ones as I'm still learning how to go through all of this, becoming more confident in my speaking and just all of that fun stuff. But I promise from the first episode to now, it gets better. That's the promise that I was going to try and mention earlier. But if you are enjoying it, please like it, share it, talk about it with your friends, share it on social media, get the word out there. I'm trying to do this. It's a new, unique way of going through the original series. Uh, if you can, leave a review on Apple. A written review gets it just pointed out more by Apple naturally for people to see without me having to do so much promoting. But yeah, this is it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. My name's Tony. I'm your host, and this is Common Room Talk.